And when he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, I love this, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? The verse I want you to pay attention to is verse 26, where it says, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I'm sure some of you have been in this predicament like the disciples. Maybe not in a boat with waves crashing over you with the Lord actually sleeping in the midst of it. But where you've had issues in your life where you're crying out to God, why aren't you aware of this? Why aren't you saving me? You know, help, help, I'm dying here. Uh, and, and you don't have the faith necessarily to believe that he's going to, to save you. You're screaming out to him for help, but you don't really, you know, how can you get help through this? I know that, that I've experienced this. When um, Callie and I decided to go to International Bible College in San Antonio, we had saved up, uh, I, I want to say right around $7,000. It may not have actually been that much. My mind, that's the figure, which means it's probably 2000 I don't know. Um, is that closer? You don't remember either? She thinks it was three. We'll go with three. She usually has a better memory than me on this. So uh, anyway, what I know is, is, is we had saved enough to basically pay off the first semester. A- and the idea was, is, you know, this is San Antonio. There's jobs everywhere. At least that's what we were told. We'll go there. We'll get a job. We'll be able to start saving for the next semester, pay off the first semester. We're not going to be in any debt. This is all going to work out. This is great. This is awesome. Praise God. We get there about a month before school starts because we wanted to find a job before school starts. Um, we get moved in, in into this little trailer house on the marriage campus, and our car starts having problems. Um, little Chevy Cavalier. And it turns out it was an alternator issue that had been recalled a couple years before, and they didn't even, Chevy didn't even make anymore because it was a garbage alternator. Uh, but we didn't know this. We didn't know this. And uh, so it, it, you know, at first I think, well, our battery's bad. So we replace our battery. It dies again, and we take it to the shop. And, oh, no, no, your battery, your new battery's bad. So we need to give you a new battery. So they give us a new battery. And, and, and this happens over and over and over and over again until finally an old graduate from the college had opened up his own shop, and we had found out about it, and we took it to him, and within... An hour, he calls us back and says, you have a bad alternator. That's your problem. And and we can't just, I mean, I can buy an alternator for it, but because it's been recalled and because they don't make it anymore, this is going to be a lot of money. Uh, And it ends up draining us of all the money we have for college. I don't even have, I have no money now to pay to to get in, you know. And, And so, we, you know, we have to have the car fixed. Callie has to work. We have to drive around. We had to have the, the vehicle fixed. And so we get the vehicle fixed. And I just re- I remember vividly the, the feeling of, of, I can't even imagine I thought this way at the, now, now, but 
literally had felt like God was judging me for all my past sins and that he had tricked us and brought us to San Antonio, which I had never been in a place so big in my life. You know, we, we go from a town of about 6,000 to a town of over a, mil, over a million. And, and uh, it, was, it was a little intimidating to us at the beginning. And, and it just felt like you brought us here to be homeless and then to just leave us. That's what it felt like. And I, I remember feeling that way and, and, and telling Callie, and I remember exactly what she said, but in other words, she basically said, you know, grow up and be a man. Quit being a whiny baby. Um, but there was just this sense of why, why have you left me? Why can't you, you know, why haven't you fixed this problem? Why am I going through this type of problem? Why have you left me? I felt very much like the disciples in the boat. Um, and, and in a similar fashion, he said the same thing. Because sure enough, he was in control of the situation the whole time. And he didn't supernaturally come in and give me a new car and pay my bill for me. But he made sure that our vehicle ran. He made sure that the school would let me in. And he never did abandon us. Now, we had to work our heinies off. We had to make things happen. But at no point did he actually ever abandon us. And now I can step back and look at it. We don't owe that school any money anymore. It's all taken care of. I got my degree from there. We had an incredible experience. And the whole time, he was there calming the storm. And the whole time, I was in that boat whining and crying, why are you asleep? Why have you abandoned me? But now I can look back and see that, wow, at that point in time, my faith needed to grow. I needed to mature and I needed to grow in, in my faith. And I'm sure many of you have, have had a very similar, similar experience to, the, to these disciples and, and to me. So we're going to be asking the question today, how do we grow our faith? What, what are the steps, if you will, that allow us to grow to a place where we can believe God for what we presume to be the impossible? Right? And we do, need, we do need our faith to grow. I mean, here's the thing. Jesus said... Oh, you of little faith. That presupposes that they could have had great faith. All right? That presupposes that they could have had great faith. In 2 Thessalonians, and I don't have the scripture up there, I don't think. If I do, I was going to take it out, but now I'm going to tell it to you. I believe it's 2 Thessalonians 1.3. If you would go there with me real quick. I believe that's it. Let's hope that's it. It is. Listen to this. We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So your faith is growing abundantly. So the truth is, Scripture teaches our faith can grow and should grow. Faith grows. Now, what I want us to be looking at here is not only am I talking about faith for a miracle or faith for a healing, but if we're just going to be completely honest with one another, I am learning that faith for a miracle sometimes is easier to believe for 
than actually just living the Christian life that God has called us to. We live in such a turbulent time when it comes to relationships and how people interact with one another that sometimes it takes more faith to love your enemy. Really think about this. The, the ability to trust God to love a person who actually sees you as their enemy. To love them the way that God loves you. That's what we're called to as Christians. We're called to imitate the life of Jesus. He's, he's up on a cross, right? He's being crucified, and he says, Father, strike him dead. No. He says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive. He's being crucified by these people, and his cry to his Father Father, forgive them. I really believe that to live the life that Christ called us to live takes serious, serious amounts of faith. How about the faith to desire good for those who want harm for you? Yeah, that's the Christian faith. I know, I know, it's, it's, it's maybe not necessarily something we talk about a whole lot. But I'll be honest, I think it's easier to believe God for a healing than it is to believe God to give us the ability to desire good for those who want evil for you. Let me think about this. We live in a, in a time where there is fear generated all throughout our country. Serious amounts of fear. People are terrified and afraid of, of ISIS, of terrorism all over the world. There's videos of terrorists cutting Christians' throats. Afraid of that. They're afraid of that. How many of you go to bed at night and pray for the welfare of those men? Not the welfare of those getting their necks cut, but the welfare of those who are doing the cutting. I know, right? We should be praying that God bombs them, you would think. But that's actually not the Christian message. The Christian message is to love your enemy, right? Pray for the good of those who would do you harm. That takes serious faith. And not, not, I mean, not the type of faith that says, you know, praise Jesus, you know, I, I'm not even the type of faith that I had to, to speak over the situation of my bad back. That's easy compared to loving those who despise you. Compared to wanting the very best for those who want to do you harm. And yet that is the message of the gospel. That is the message that we are to embody in our lives towards others to actually show them what Jesus looks like. You'll never see Jesus in an F-16, but you will see Jesus in a person willing to give up their life to their enemy. A great image, I think, of, of faith was a new convert. The first video that, that was shown of ISIS, and, and you remember the men in the orange jumpsuits on the beachfront. Not all of them were Christian. One was not. 
One was a member of ISIS who didn't want to do it. And the reason he didn't want to do it is because these men that were about to be executed were freely and willingly giving themselves up without fighting. And it struck him as what we were about to do was evil because these people haven't done anything. They're giving themselves to us. And so at that point, he converted and gave his life to Jesus and then allowed his throat to be sliced. That was faith. And it was faith of these men who said, I will not do harm to you, even though you are now trying to do harm to me, that led to the conversion of that man. There is a man right now in the presence of God who otherwise would not have been because of great men with great faith. And I'll be just as open as I can with the society and hate that's being generated in our society we need the type of faith that can live the life of Jesus. And that is not your average faith. That, that, that's the type of faith that it takes to not just move mountains, but that's the type of faith that changes entire societies and nations. And that's the type of faith that we're called to and that needs to take place in the Church of America, ASAP, as soon as possible. We're talking about the type of faith that believes that God can restore and heal marriages. That believes that God can heal and restore relationships. The type of faith that doesn't allow Satan to have a foothold, even though it looks like all is lost, but just believes nonetheless in God's promises and words and has victory no matter what. That's the type of faith that we're talking about. I'm talking about becoming more and more like Jesus. We need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our faith. Now, the Bible teaches us that, like the human anatomy, faith grows in about three different phases. Three phases. So if you would, go with me to 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to show you uh, what faith, the, the different stages of faith and then we'll talk about how do we grow into the, in these different stages. So 1 John chapter 2, we we'll are look at verses 12 through 14. All right. I'm writing to you little children. Because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know, who, you know him who is from the beginning. Have you noticed that the fathers is the exact same thing? I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So here, here are the three phases of faith, of growth in the Christian life. There's childlike faith, there's young faith, and there's mature faith. Now, 
Go back to the childlike faith picture, if you would. That's childlike faith, right? Childlike faith says is you trust that your sins are forgiven through Jesus, right? And you know that Jesus is the image of God. That's childlike faith. You trust that your sins have been forgiven through the work of Christ, and you know that Jesus is the image of God. Listen to what he says on, on childlike faith again. Uh, go back to verse 12. Read it. We'll read it again. I don't know why my Bible keeps falling off in this thing, but... Here we go. No, I'll read it up here. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So childlike faith recognizes that your sins have been forgiven by him. It, it continues. Let's go ahead and, and look and see what the rest of it. Go ahead with that, Mike. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. Because you know the Father. So the idea of childlike faith is you recognize that your sins are forgiven and that Jesus is the image of God. It's the beginning of our faith. This is where every single one of us, this is where we all start our faith. If you would, look with me at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. There's another scripture in Romans. I, I don't have it in my mind right off where it's at. But it says that each of us have been given a measure of faith. So we all, right off the bat, this is what it looks like. Somebody preaches the gospel. The message of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and as you hear that... Faith is produced inside of you. It's a gift that's given to you. And you respond to that faith and you believe that Christ has, that God has forgiven your sins through the work of Jesus. And you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's the measure of faith that we are all given. That's where we all start. Childlike faith. But then there's young faith. A young faith is you learn to overcome the enemy... Satan, by knowing and using the Word of God. That's young faith. Uh, look at the Scripture again with me, if you would. 1 John chapter, 12, or chapter 2, 12 through 14. Verse 13, look at verse 13. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then go on over. Verse 14, again, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So young faith has, has soaked in the word of God. They abide in the word of God. The word of God abides in them and they have learned how to fight the attacks of the enemy 
using the Word of God. But then there's mature in faith. Mature in faith. Now, we had the, the little bitty guy that showed us, you know, childlike faith. Now, this, this is my, um, go back to mature in faith. So there's childlike faith, and there's mature in faith. Now, this is Rich Fronin. Now, Rich Fronin is, is my CrossFit hero, okay? Uh, not only has he been, he's the only guy that's won every CrossFit Games, right? He's won them all. Last year, he retired, but he won right after, you know, he, retire, he wins it all, then he retires. So he's the five-time strongest man in the world, most fit man in the world, five, time, five years in a row. Uh, Rich Fronin gave his life to Christ after his first time. He went to the CrossFit Games, uh, and, and he won, but it really kind of felt like a failure to him, uh, and he started realizing that he was giving way too much credit to himself, uh, he ends up going to church. Uh, his wife takes him to church a few times. They end up not being able to have a child. All this different stuff happens in his life. Um, and, and finally, the gospel hits him. He gives his life to Christ. Um, and anyway, sometime I'll have to share his entire story. He's a really, really awesome guy. I love Rich Fronin. Starts every day at his gym, you know, with a big group prayer. Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, you have to, if you're going to be part of the gym, you've got to come in and pray. Uh, awesome stuff, Bible studies, middle of practice, at the end of practice, uh, just an incredible guy. But that image of childlike faith, and then you have this image, which one would you want to go to war with you? Now, everybody thinks the childlike faith is cute and adorable, and it is. Man, when a person comes to Christ, you're like, oh, and you just want to squeeze their cheeks. You know, they're just cute. But who do you want in war with you? Do you want the little bitty skinny guy with braces that's adorable? But if somebody knocked him on the head with their finger, he's out? Or do you want somebody that, that they're buff and they're tested, they're tough? Right? So father-like faith or mature faith, this is what it says about them. I love this. Uh, go back to verse 13 some reason this is not wanting to work for me today you got it up thank you all right verse 13 i'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning and then when it's when he repeats it he says the exact same words i'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning a father or mature faith is what we'll call it mature faith Mature faith is you know Him. There is a big difference between having the Word of God abiding in you and being able to speak that Word of God to, to fight off the enemy and then knowing God. Right? A lot of people know what the Scriptures say, but they really don't know God yet. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Like, I can read, like, I mentioned this to you guys before when we were going through the Second Peter series. I can read a book about Queen Elizabeth and know about Queen Elizabeth, but I know my wife. I know her. I know what she's thinking most of the time, right? I, I know when, when there are certain looks, and I know what those certain looks mean. They, they mean, hey, let's sit by each other and cuddle, or they mean, don't you touch me. Right? 
I know when she's exhausted and she's tired. I know what to do for her in different occasions and situations. I know her. I know her. Those who are mature in the faith know him who is from the beginning. It's this intimate knowledge of I know God. Now, the one thing about knowing a person, do you guys remember a few months ago we had the picture of uh, the older couples that started looking alike? And then the couples or the person with their pet and how they looked alike, right? Once you get into that intimate relationship and over the years you get to where you know the person so well that, that you become like them. You become so much of who they are. When Callie and I first met and were dating, and even when we first got married, there was so much, I, we were so different from one another. It was, it was annoying. Like, it was, it was cute when we were dating, but then you get married and the differences become annoying. Like I like to leave the toilet lids up. <laughs> right? Callie didn't like the toilet lids up. When I brushed my teeth, I just let the water run while I brushed my teeth. Oh, not her. She's got to save the world. Right? So turn the water off. I mean, these were things that annoyed her to pieces to where now it's just it's natural. I go in, brush my teeth, and why I brush I turn the water off. When I'm ready to rinse off the toothbrush, I turn the water. These are things I wouldn't have even thought of, but now are just part of me. Why? Because in our intimate relationship, I've become like her, right? She's become like me in ways. We become like one another. So as you grow in this intimate relationship with God, you become like him. And so this is what mature faith is. Mature faith is beyond believing God for a miracle. It is being like Jesus, being like like Jesus. So here's the question. How do we grow this gift of faith that God has given us? How do we go from childlike faith to young faith to mature faith? Now the goal for every one of us is mature faith. This is, that's the place we want to get. We want to get to the place to where when people see you, they're actually seeing Jesus. It's your face, it's your skin but when, when you're around them, that peace and that joy and, and that just total, absolute trust in the Father just reeks out of you. It's just this beautiful smell, if you will, this, this incredible odor of God. Everywhere you walk, it's just you permeate the streets, the coffee shops, the grocery stores with the presence of God. That's what we all want to get to. So how do we get there? Well, the first clue, we've already read it, was Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So we know this for certain from Scripture. That faith starts by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, in other translations, it says faith comes by the message, and hearing the message of Christ. I, I kind of like that one better, but it, it doesn't matter. They're all saying the same thing. Here's what it's saying. When you hear the message of Jesus, it generates faith in us. And the truth of the matter is, this is how, this is one method in which we continue to grow. You continue to grow by hearing the word of God and hearing it through 
Christ or by Christ or about Christ. The more you hear about Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. The more faith you grow inside of you and belief in Jesus, trust in Jesus. The more stories you hear about the nature and the characteristics of God, the more your faith inside grows to trust in that character and nature of God. The more stories you hear of how God loved the prostitute, the tax collector. Crazy thing is, the more ability you have then to love those who the rest of society looks at as disgusting. You become more and more like him. So the first step is the word. We have to have more of the word of God in us. Now, like small children, childlike faith, you have to be fed. And so when a person is new to the faith, the childlike faith, they have to be fed. One of the biggest problems that we have is it's almost instantly we assume that a person, when they give their life to Jesus, that they can now feed themselves. They can't. You will starve a Christian to death if you believe that it's up to them now to feed themselves. They get off their knees or however they gave their life to Christ. If you're thinking now all of a sudden they should be able to lead a Bible study, you're insane. Right? They need to be fed. Just like a young baby needs to be fed by their mother, so does the young in Christ, the childlike faith. They need to be fed. Now, They need others to feed them the Word of God because they're not quite yet able to feed themselves. And here's here's what I mean. This is what childlike faith looks like. You find the Bible hard to read and not real interesting. That's the truth of the matter. Childlike faith finds the Bible extremely hard to read and it's not interesting. It's not interesting. You You don't seem to have the ability to understand the Scripture. It can be read to you, it can be talked to you, you can read it, but you just can't seem to understand it. So you need somebody who can then kind of break it down and make sense of it for you, right? It's, like, it's almost like mama taking that, you know, that first time you had meat and she cut that steak up in real little bitty pieces so that she could feed it to you. Okay? It's, it's kind of the same thing there. You really do not know what to do with this thing called the Bible, like does it does it like hold other books? Do I put it at the end of the bookshelf so that it holds the other ones up? Right, do I use it to put it on my desk to hold the papers in place? I, I can open it up, but it's just kind of nonsense to me. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I just don't know what to do with it. You don't understand what people mean when they say they heard God speak to them through the Bible. I remember being this guy. I mean, I, he's vivid to me. I love Jesus. I loved what my pastor told me about Jesus. And I saw that all the people in my church that, that I admired, they all really loved the Bible. They really loved it. They got into it and they talked about it all the time. Well, every time I opened it up, it was just like, I'd be like, where, Juan, where do I even start? Hey, do, I, do I start at the beginning, in the middle? I mean, where... It, none of it made sense. It all seemed disconnected and disjointed. I didn't understand what the new and the old had to do with one another or if anything at all. None of it made sense. Finally, one day, I remember just saying to myself, it doesn't matter if I get it or not. 
Everybody I know that I admire loves this thing. So I'm going to sit down every night before I go to bed, and I'm just going to start reading it. And I had no expectations other than, hopefully God makes me get it one day. Like one day, maybe he'll make me get it. And so every night, I would just read, and what I decided to do was, is I was going to read five chapters every night. And I decided I'll start in Matthew, and I'll just work my way through. And, and listen, it was a good three months before it, any of it ever started making sense. But I became faithful in this practice of even though this doesn't make sense to me, I know somehow this is supposed to be valuable to me. And so I just plowed through, knowing and believing some way, somehow, God was going to begin to make this open up. And I just was faithful to it. It didn't make sense the first day, the second day, the 30th day, the 60th day. It didn't make sense. It was just a boring story. Do any of you remember that? Diana's like, yeah, yeah, I, thank you. No, thank you for being honest, right? I, I remember that. It was just blah. Who cares about these fishermen? What's this have to do with me, right? How does this help me right now? And, and so this is what childlike faith is. Now, if you're at this stage in your life, if this is where you're at, you need to find a mentor. Have to. This will offend some. Some of you will be like, amen. So those that get offended, talk to those that said amen. All right. America has an abortion problem because the church has an abortion problem. And, and we abort those who are new in the faith a lot of times, very rapidly. And here's why. We never talk to them about the fact that they need to be mentored. It's like they're born again, and then we just throw them out to the world. There you go. There you go. And they don't know what to do. Okay, I have a faith in Jesus. I believe I'm saved, but now what? It's almost like we think the altar is the end. Our whole job is to get you to this altar. You've said the magical words, abracadabra, you're born again. Poof. Go off into the world and be happy. We've done our job. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And it says we were created in His image and His likeness. So therefore, you and I were meant to live this faith in community. It was never meant to be an individual experience. It's always been meant to be a communal experience. When you're new in the faith, you need mentors. You need people that can teach you what that word means. You need people that can... They can, you know, cut it up into small bite-sized pieces so that you can take that nourishment in and it makes sense. Too many people have been Christians for 30 years and they're still in childlike faith because they've never, ever been mentored. They're just stuck. I mean, show that image again, Michael, the little childlike faith. We have people in the faith for 30 years that look like this. They're adorable. But let me tell you this. If this was a 60-year-old guy, he'd get kind of annoying after a while. 
You don't go to this guy to depend on him for anything. Right? Eventually, you have to grow up from this. You have to mature and grow. And, and so many times we get stuck in that childlike faith because we don't put ourselves in other people's lives who can mentor and grow us and help us mature in this faith. We just don't do it for some reason. I think it is vitally important that if you are in this childlike faith stage, and there's nothing wrong with being there, every single person starts there. But if you are there, when you leave today, you need to make a promise to yourself. You will find mentors and you will surround yourself with these people to help you learn. And help you learn. Now, from, from this childlike faith, you move on into the young faith. And the way you move on is you surround yourself with mentors. The disciples were all new in their faith. They're, they're with Jesus and they're with one another. The early church did the exact same thing. They would surround themselves by what they called fathers and mothers. And fathers and mothers could be of any age. It's all over the early church writings, you have illustrations of what they called fathers and mothers. Our first concept of church organization was when Paul started creating what he called elders, which simply meant old mature people. The thing was, is he didn't always put old people as elders. He put mature people in the faith as elders, and their job was to mentor those who were not mature in the faith. That's what they were. They were the fathers and the mothers of the church. And fathers and mothers are concerned about the growth of their babies. If you had, if you had a 21-year-old kid that still looked like that child, you'd take him to a doctor and be concerned. that child turned 40 and still looked like that, you would take him, you know, what's going on? What's going on? So we need, you grow out of childlike faith through the Word of God, but through mentors helping you understand and take in what that Word of God, word of God is and how it applies to your life. The next one is young faith that John talked about. You grow into young faith by learning to feed yourself the Word and exercising your faith. Now, you don't feed yourself at the beginning of the faith. Others help feed you. But you have to get to the place where you can feed yourself. Where you can feed yourself. It's, it's one thing for you to come to church on a Sunday, and, and you know, it's popular saying, I love to come to church and get fed. That, and that's fine. I don't mind breaking a little things off for you and sticking it in your mouth and saying, here you go. I don't mind. What I do mind is if this is it. If you don't go home, if you don't break open the Word of God yourself, if you don't know how to, to take that into yourself and make it usable to you, you're at childlike faith. Young faith brings that Word in. They feed themselves. Here's how... I, I love watching Young Faith. Young Faith is exciting to me. Do you remember when, um, before Krista uh, went off to college? Remember when she was here, Krista Amundsen, and I baptized her? 
And I, this was a girl, when I first moved to Charles City and we started the church, she came into the church about a year after we started with her mother. Uh, she didn't know anything. She knew nothing. And just watch her mature and grow. I ran like, the, not only did I do the adult ministry, but I did the youth ministry in Charles City. And so I had all these kids coming to my house. And her and her brother were the two most annoying, them and Max. I'd have to send them outside in the snow, right? Go outside and leave us alone. You're annoying. Go away. And Krista was one of those annoying people. The year before, she ended up going off to college. I don't know if you guys ever noticed this, but she went from childlike faith to young faith. And the way, the way I noticed it was, it's every Sunday, she had her Bible and a notebook. And I'd be preaching, and that girl would be taking notes like crazy. And then she would text or Facebook me all during the week. Hey, what's this scripture doing, you know, and how do I apply this to my life? And, and what she was doing is she was working through it and learning how to feed herself. To then, she stopped asking me what it meant, and she started telling me what she discovered. Right? So she, trans, she, she started being transformed in from childlike faith to young faith, where she was feeding herself the Word of God. Now, not only does young faith feed itself the Word of God, but it also exercises its faith. In, in uh, 1 John 2.14, you guys have got you can look at it. It says that the Word of God abides in those who are young in the faith. So for the Word of God to abide, you have to learn how to feed yourself. They've developed a love for Scripture. A love for Scripture. They've developed a discipline to read the Scripture even when they don't feel like it. This is so important. I don't care how mature in the faith you are, there are going to be times you don't want to pick up that Bible and read. I experience it often. I'll be completely honest with you. It is unbelievable how many times I got the Bible setting right there in front of me, and I'm like, man, I sure would like to do something else. I got nothing else to do. It's, just, it's, right, it's, it's like it's my job. I'm at work. This is what I do. This is, it's my time to do this. And all I'm thinking of is well, maybe, I don't know, solitaire. <laughs> right? Something else besides this. And, and what I found is when you build that discipline into your life that says, okay, even though I want to do something else, I am going to force this Bible open. It feels like it's 300 pounds right now, but I'm going to force it open. I'm going to force my eyes on the page, and I'm going to start reading. Now, when you're young in the faith, you build that discipline, and what you find out is you start reading, and all that torment of having to read the Bible goes away. It's like, oh, wow, why was this so hard? Right? What it is, is Satan doesn't want you to continue to grow in the faith. If you, you remember the old saying, if you don't use it, you will lose it, right? It's just like exercising your body. It, 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 the older I get, the more I realize that, that my metabolism has slowed down. My muscle mass, it's harder to get it to be built up. The bone density is shrinking on me. All this type of, and, and as I get older and older, it's just going to continue to be that way, which means if I want to stay in shape, I have to work harder, harder, and harder, because if you don't use it, you lose it. Same thing with the faith. And Satan's biggest ploy to those who are young in the faith is to get you to stop using it. 
So that Bible feels like 300 pounds while you're trying to open it sometimes. You, every, you don't even know why you're thinking of solitaire right now. You don't even know why you want, you know, there's things that you hate doing that now all of a sudden sound fun instead of reading your Bible. Man, running six miles would be really fun right now. What are you talking about? That's never fun. But all of a sudden, right now, it just sounds fun. Anything to get you away from reading the Word of God. So the young in faith, they abide in the Word, and the Word of God abides in them. The next thing is they've learned how to exercise this faith by speaking it. We talked about this last week a little bit, right? They, exercising your faith, the Word of God, what the Word of God says, now they began to speak it. One of my favorite people that do this is actually Karen. Right? Karen, if you, if you pray with Karen, it won't take very long, and she stops using her words, and she starts just speaking Bible over you. Have you ever noticed that? Love it! Absolutely love it! Right? That's, that's something that she learned when she was young in the faith was this idea of exercising the Word of God. Right? So not only now is it in me, but it's so much in me and so much a part of me that now it's become my vocabulary. It's become the words that I speak. And so now I'm exercising it. And when you're young in the faith, you start exercising it. I'll give you a great example of how this works for me um, in, in just conditioning and, and regular growing your body. You start out, you guys remember Jeremy Stuckey when he was here before he moved? He got me interested in doing CrossFit. Prior to that, I'd go to the gym and just lift weights, and every now and then Callie would make me run with her. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a runner. Don't like it. I don't like conditioning. Hate conditioning. So Jeremy starts making me, not making me, but I started going to CrossFit with Jeremy because I'm trying to impress him. He's got bigger traps than me, and I'm a little jealous. So I go to CrossFit with him, and the first time we go, I mean, I'm, I just about die. It's like a 15-minute workout, and it, I'm, I'm so exhausted. You know, this will gross you out. I had to run outside because things were coming up, right? I mean, and, that, and then the second time, thing, it, it was like a common thing, you know? It's like, I, like I'm exercising something out of me, right? It was bad. It was really, really bad. I couldn't run a mile. I couldn't. I couldn't even think about running a mile. By the time Jeremy moved off, and by the time summer had ended and we started moving into fall, it was nothing to go run a mile. It was easy. Well, I, so you had to start and just exercise and exercise and exercise and exercise until it became easier. Right? You had, but you had to start. Well, those who are young in the faith, they begin to exercise the faith by speaking it. And it, it may seem silly to them off, right off the bat. It, it may seem like there's very little to no results, but they just keep speaking the word, keep speaking the word, keep speaking the word, keep speaking the word. And before long, they're functioning in, in a, such a great level of faith that it's almost like everything they ask God for, it takes place. Anything you ask in my name, you shall receive. All right, that's young faith. Now, you get to young faith, from childlike faith to young faith, by having those mentors around you, and then you begin to learn to feed yourself. Now, here's the thing about continuing to grow in childlike or in young faith. If you want to continue to grow in young faith, you have to continue to abide in the Word. But the best way to do that, 
is the thing that people resist to do the most. Do you know why childlike faith has a hard time finding mentors? Because nobody wants to mentor. When you're young in the faith, the best way to continue to grow that faith into mature faith is to step out and exercise it in a way that you're not used to. Where you take the little childlike faiths around you and you start doing the mentoring. You start giving it to them. The best way to learn is how? To teach. If you want to learn a subject, start teaching the subject. If you want to grow in that faith from from young faith to mature faith, step in there and start mentoring those who are in childlike faith. And the second one, find another mentor who's in that father-mother category. Because if you want to be like something, you have to find somebody that's already got that, and you follow them. You follow them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what Paul told the church. Follow me as I follow Jesus. So you find that mentor, that person that you can follow, and you start mentoring people. You start mentoring people. Liz isn't with us here this morning. Uh, Her and Casey were at State last night and the night before and the night before. Uh, doing cheer. So I'm surprised Casey's actually here, to be honest with you. Uh, I tried to wake her up about 7.30, and she just kind of set up, gave me this look, and just <laughs> fell, literally just fell. And at that point, I was like, nah, I'm leaving this up to her mama. Um, I'm surprised she's not here. But um, Liz isn't with us, and I, I knew that I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen. Um, but let me, let me, I was kind of wanting her to be here and talk to her, but Liz is brand new in the faith. I mean, she's brand new in the faith. Elise, before Elise and Alan left, Elise led Elizabeth to Christ downstairs in the basement one day. Uh, We'd given a sermon talking about faith and growing in Christ and stuff like that and really just kind of gave a gospel presentation. And It struck Elizabeth and she believed it. And faith happened and she didn't know what to do with it. And so Elise led her to Christ. It was beautiful, wonderful thing. Now, Elizabeth needs people that are willing to come around her and mentor so that she can grow in that faith. Because if people don't come around her and mentor her, what ends up happening is the discouragement of life takes over and that faith feels like it's useless. And before long, then it's just gone. It's just gone. It's an aborted, if you will, born-again child. So what Elizabeth needs is those who are in the young faith to come around and begin to encourage and lift her up. And what that does for those who are in the young aspect of faith is it begins to build in them. Right? Now, it leads us to the third category, okay? Which is finally the mature in faith. The mature in faith. A mature person, you've, you've, you've seen them, they're obvious. Right? They have this peace, joy, and humility and complete trust in God no matter what the circumstances or outcome. There are those people that at times they can actually be terrifying. 
there's just there's this presence of God about them that literally they make you feel at peace and at home and terrified all at the same time. Right? I mean they they do. It's it's a very interesting interesting thing that takes place. Now, you grow into mature, mature faith through a long continued relationship with God. Remember, the mature in faith are the ones who know him who is from the beginning. They know him, okay? So it's long life with God. It's where your entire life is dependent on him and you trust him with every, every aspect of your life. You grow into mature faith by exercising your faith through obedience, so much so that you now fully rely and trust God with everything. So what they've done, this is what they've done. They were in this young faith. They stepped out and they started mentoring people. And they saw that God came through. So then all of a sudden God would ask for anything and and they got to this point where they would just say yes before God even asked. Yes. Now what's the question? That's what the the kids last week, that's what they learned. That was their main point. Yes. Now what's the question? that's, That's what happens. You get this young stage faith and they're mentoring, they're growing in that faith, and they get to this place where they step into the mature faith by, by getting to there where they're saying, yes, God, yes. Now, what's the question? What do you, they're saying yes before God even says go. The great example of this is, is Abraham. Right? Abraham is in, in, he desires a child, and he wants Sarah to have this baby. He's already got Ishmael, but, but that, that was from a servant girl. The woman, the woman he loves, he wants a child with her, their baby. And God makes this promise. And the promise takes forever. But he keeps believing, he keeps, keeps hoping, keeps trusting. And all of a sudden, Sarah, at the ripe old age of 90, gives birth to Isaac. The joy of Abraham, his baby boy. And Isaac grows and matures, turns into a young boy, and God speaks to Abraham. And Abraham is the type of guy that says, yes, now what's the question? And the question was, sacrifice your baby. Give him to me. And Abraham said, yes. And so he took Isaac up to the mountain, laid him down on the altar to be sacrificed, and had the knife ready to plunge into his own child before God stopped him. That's what mature faith looks like. Mature faith says, yes, no matter what God asks. And it's those who walk in that mature faith that see they see miracles like, like you can't believe. They see, but not just big miracles. They, their eyes now have been conditioned to see God in everything. So when they wake up in the morning, they hear a bird sing. They're hearing a miracle. And they be, they're appreciative of that miracle. But what also is cool about these people is they don't need a supernatural miracle to sustain them. Because they've come to the place where their gift, their joy, is God himself. 
that no matter what happens in life, the thing that they desire more than anything else is his presence. 